Well, this morning, um, I have the very distinct privilege of introducing our speaker for this weekend, which is um, pastor, doctor, author, speaker, counselor, sage, Dr. Paul David Tripp. Um, if you were here the last couple days, um, or if you've been here the last couple weeks, you've heard us talk about the parenting conference that he hosted uh, over Friday and Saturday right here at the Capitol Hills campus where uh, we packed this entire room wall to wall and then some. And I want to tell you, my wife and I came. That's how we spent our 11th anniversary right here at his conference because he's just been a guy that, at least in our lives, God has used so incredibly mightily. Um, I look back at my salvation and I can, at least humanly speaking, attribute uh, my salvation to a number of people that I I can say that person was praying or that person was sharing or that person was inviting or that person was encouraging. And I can honestly say that in the life of um, my three about to be four children, that if Lord willing, they come to know Jesus as savior, that Dr. Paul David Tripp will be somebody that we look back and say their salvation, at least humanly speaking, rests on a lot of the kingdom and ministry work that Pastor Paul David Tripp did and his writing and his speaking and his counseling because it enabled my wife and I to point our children toward Jesus. Um, as many accolades as he has acclaimed, he is one of, I can honestly say this, one of the most humble men you have ever met. Um, you're going to see that very early on, I think, in his message that he desires to do nothing but point people to Jesus and Jesus alone. You know, often when we have speakers, we have one of their books available in the lobby, but he has so many dang good ones, we just couldn't pick one. And so um, I will give you a recommendation. If a lot of people ask me, they say, Pastor, what's a good book for a quiet time? I can tell you his book, New Morning Mercies, if it is not part of your quiet time, uh, it will go down as one of the greatest devotional books of all time. And so I would advise you to hop on Amazon, buy that right now, make it part of your quiet time. Um, and again, it's just scripture saturated, gospel filled, pointing you to Jesus. And so I'm going to ask him to go ahead and join me on stage. I'd love to pray for him. And as he's coming, Summit family, would you join me at all of our locations in welcoming Pastor Paul David Tripp. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for this man right here. God, I know he will be first in line in the kingdom of heaven to grab the many crowns that you have placed upon his head just to cast at the feet of King Jesus that even there he'll be setting an example for us. God, I pray right now, in light of all this, that he would decrease, that you might increase. Amen. God, that you would fill him with a fresh anointing from the top of his head to the bottom of his toes. God, that the message he's about to, live, to deliver, God, this is content, this is message that he has given for years and years and years, yet God, I pray that right now in these moments, he would be as excited and as zealous as the very first time he delivered it that he would be the first person to see Jesus and all his beauty and majesty and sufficiency. And that what we experience as a feast as he opens the word of God is just an overflow of what you are doing in his heart and his life. And so God, we know when your word goes forth, it does not return void. Would it go forth now powerfully, boldly, clearly through my friend, my pastor, Dr. Paul David Tripp. God, we pray and we ask in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. Yes, well, Summit family, it's an honor to be with you, to be part just a little bit of the Forever Family series. I want to get you to think with me this morning about the transforming power of a tender-hearted parent. If you're not a parent, don't shut off your ears because there's stuff for you here as well. And I thought the best way for me to begin is a little bit of a personal story. I was a 
very defeated, discouraged, beaten up young pastor just a few years ago. That was a joke. <laughs> Obviously not a very good one. <clears throat> and I was done. I couldn't think of another day as a pastor. All I wanted to do was quit. And I had an education background and I had found a Christian school in Southern California that was looking for a principal. I thought, Jesus and the beach, what's better than that? I'm gone. And so I approached my elders and I said, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to face another Sunday. I don't want to preach another sermon. I don't want to go to another elders meeting. I don't want to hear any more criticism. I'm tired. I just want to go. And they said, Paul, we don't want you to resign. I said, I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. And with lots of hesitation, lots of regret, they finally said, okay, we will stand with you next Sunday as you announce your resignation. I was the founding pastor of this church. Many people in my church there in Scranton, Pennsylvania had never had another pastor but me. I announced my resignation, and then after the service, it was a very, very emotional time uh, as person after person came tearfully and told me they didn't want me to leave. And as I was the last person out of the church turning to lock the door, the oldest man in our congregation was standing there on the porch. And he said, Paul, can I talk to you for a moment? I didn't want to talk to anybody. But I knew I needed to honor him, and I said, sure, Bob, you may talk. He said, look, Paul, we know you're immature. I thought, well, that's a really good start. <laughs> and then he said these beautiful, tender-hearted words to me. He said, Paul, where is the church going to get mature pastors if immature pastors run? We haven't asked you to go. Stay. Please stay. What he was saying to me is we love you. We'll walk this journey with you. I immediately began to weep. And Luella had already walked home with our children and I walked home crying and I came in the door crying. Luella asked me what was the matter and I said, I can't go. The word picture I gave her is God just nailed my shoes to the porch of that church. I, I can't leave. I called my elders that afternoon and said, okay, I'm an idiot. Can I unresign? <laughs> they said, this isn't typical. <laughs> and they said, sure, Paul, we would, we would love for you to stay. The next Sunday, they stood up with me as I confessed my panic and my fear to our people, and I stayed. You know, without that one sentence by that tender-hearted man, this life of ministry, this wonderful, wonderful life of ministry that Luella and I have lived would not have happened. No books would have been written. None of this would have happened. One sentence from one tender-hearted man changed the entire trajectory of this man's life. 
I think that we seriously underestimate the transforming power of tenderness. I'd like you to grab your Bible or your electronic whatever and turn with me to Micah chapter 6. Micah 6. I love, love, love this passage while I love the whole Bible. It's got a great plot, good characters, a lot of local color, best any never. But I particularly love this passage. Micah 6, beginning with verse 6. What shall I come before the Lord and bow down before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God? Now, if you're a parent in the room, you're probably thinking at this moment, what in the world does this have to do with parenting? So I'm going to ask you to take a journey with me. The book of Micah is essentially a series of complaints that God has against his people. That's the context of this passage. And this passage is broken into a question and a call. Parents, you desperately need to understand the question, and you desperately need to hear the call. Now think with me. If somebody near you was complaining over and over uh, about you to you, eventually what would you say? You would say, what in the world do you want from me? What do you want? What could I do that would finally please you? Tell me. That's Micah 6, 6 through 8. That's the question. God What could I do to please you? What could I ever do to satisfy you? What could I possibly do, God, to silence your complaint? How would you answer that question? You could argue it's the ultimate question of questions. It's the central question of the whole biblical narrative. It's the question that launches the whole gospel story. There is no important question in all of the human existence than this one single question. How can a human being please the Lord? What could I ever do to gain his favor? What could I ever do to silence his holy complaint against me? Please tell me what I could do. It is the drama of humanity that people made for relationship with God are now separate with God. There's a huge gap 
between us and God. How will that gap ever be bridged? What can we ever do? And the resounding answer that splashes across every page of Scripture is this, nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing you could ever do that would rise to the glorious level of being able to silence God's holy complaint, satisfy His righteous requirement. You must accept the answer. It's nothing. And you see that exegeted for you. If you look back in your Bible at verses 6 and 7, what if I come before the Lord with a year-old calf? Is that enough? The answer is no. It's not enough. What if I offer him 10,000 rivers of oil? Notice this expansive hyperbolic language, would that be enough? The answer is no, that wouldn't be enough. Well, what if I give my firstborn, would that be enough? No, that would be enough. What about 10,000 rams, would that be enough? No, it would not be enough. It would not be enough. It would not be enough. The answer crushes human self-righteousness. It destroys human pride. It smashes human credit-taking. Listen, if you have a good marriage, you must not be proud of that. You must not take credit for that. Because there's no way that you would be poss- it is possible for you to love a sinner that you're living with, broken as they may be, without grace visiting you. We love because he first loved us. And even if you love your spouse well, you have no ability to cause that heart to love you in return. A good marriage is a trophy to divine grace. If you have children who are choosing to obey, you must not take credit for that because no, no matter how righteously you act towards your children, if they don't transact with God, they will not be okay. And you have no ability to change the heart of your child. Zip, nada, none. If you have a successful career and you are enjoying the results of that success, you must not take credit for that. Because you are employing gifts that have been given to you. There's no way you can control all of the elements of the economy that are necessary for you to have success in that endeavor. If you have success in ministry, you must not be proud of that. You must not boast of that. Because success in ministry is only possible because of divine gifts and divine truth. 
And no human being ever is in control of when the winds of the Spirit will blow and produce fruit in ministry. All glory goes to God. The answer to the ultimate question reaches in to every area of our lives. The answer that there is nothing that I can do to achieve God's favor, to silence his complaint, should produce in me two character qualities. Here's the the first one, humility. Here's a second, gratefulness. Brothers and sisters, I can say to you there are two more There aren't two more important character qualities for a parent than these two, humility and gratefulness. Listen, a self-righteous parent is easily judgmental, easily irritated, easily condemning, will find his or herself not part of what God is doing but in the way of it again and again and again. Anger will replace grace. Irritation will replace uh, patience. Condemnation will replace instruction. You see, what you are as a parent is a deeply needy sinner called to parent a deeply needy sinner. The thing that fuels good, wise parenting is the realization, the humbling realization that you are more like your child than unlike him or her. That every single thing your child needs, you need. That's what makes for wonderful, kind, perseverant, grace-filled parenting. And then there's gratitude. No one gives grace better than a person who is deeply persuaded that they need it themselves and is celebrating the fact that they've been given. You see, parenting is actually a mission of grace. When I say that, often parents misunderstand what I'm talking about and they think that that means being permissive and it doesn't mean being permissive because grace never calls wrong right. If wrong were right, there would be no need for grace. Grace is a way of dealing with wrong instead of, in those moments, barking an order, announcing a punishment and walk away. I move toward you in grace, seeking to understand how I can be part of what God is doing in this moment. The answer to the question sets up the exact character qualities that are important to be a parent who's a tool in God's hands in the lives of your children. That's the question. Now look with me at the call. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. 
although there is nothing I can do to achieve acceptance with God, there is something that God calls me to. And, and here's what he says. What does the Lord require? Do justice, love kindness or mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Now, you, you have to ask yourself the question. Well, I ask myself the question, and I'm going to ask that on your behalf. Why these three character qualities? Why these three? Of all the character qualities that we would find in Scripture, why does God say these are the three that I want to live and reign in your life? These are the three that I want to fuel your work as parents, justice, mercy, and humility. Why these three? Well, the answer is this, that these three words, justice, mercy, and humility, summarize the entire redemptive story. They summarize the entire gospel narrative. You have everything that the Bible is about captured in three words. Here's the first word, justice. What is the desire of justice? What is the motivation of justice? The motivation of justice is to right a wrong. And so God, in holy justice, looked at his sin-broken world. And because he is holy in his justice, he could not leave his world in this terrible, broken condition. He could not leave his creatures made in his image in the bondage of sin. His justice made him respond. But rather than responding in wrath and condemnation, he unleashed his mercy. Now how could it be that mercy and justice could work together? How is mercy the way that God would mete out his justice? Well, that leads us to the third word, humility. There had to be a righteous one who would come and he would live a perfectly holy life, satisfying every requirement of God's law, perfect in every way, in word, in thought, and in action. There had to be an acceptable sacrifice that would satisfy the penalty for sin. And so Jesus, holy Son of God, humbled himself and said, I'll go. The magnitude of his humility, I cannot wrap words around. Don't think that the suffering of Jesus began at the cross. The suffering of Jesus began when shards of hay pierced his infant skin in that barn that he was born in. And he suffered every day of his life so that God's mercy would be unleashed. 
Now here's the call. Parents, you go and you represent me in the lives of your children. You represent my justice. You represent my mercy. You represent my humility. Parents, here's the call. You live as my ambassadors. Parenting is ambassadorial work. It's not about what you want for your children. It's not about what you want from your children. It's about being on God's holy mission. Representing his justice. Listen, here's what this means, parents. You see beyond the dirty bedroom. You see beyond the mess that this kid leaves in the bathroom every morning. Why does he do that? You see beyond the fights every time the kids get in the car. You see below the chaos at the dinner table. And you see all of those things are not the things that you're you're called to most. Those things are symptoms of a deeper thing that God calls you to. Because all of those things are expression of a deep brokenness inside of your children. They're expression of a lostness. They're expression of the deepest dilemma in the heart of a child. It's not just that he does bad things. It's not just that she's irresponsible at points. It's not just that sometimes he's disrespectful. It's that sin lives in the heart of this little one. That's what you're dealing with. That's your call as a parent. You go after something deeper than this moment of behavior. This moment of behavior is an opportunity to get at something deeper that's broken. And you do that in a mission of mercy. Listen, you have to understand that your children need law in their lives but the law is not enough the law does a great job of exposing sin the law is a wonderful guide for their everyday life but the law has no power whatsoever to rescue and transform their hearts listen parenting is profoundly more than having a neat set of rules accompanied by a neat set of consequences Every moment when there is a bit of disobedience or a disrespectful word or a failure to do something the child is told is an opportunity that God is giving you to get at the issues of the heart that are there, to ask yourself the question, what is God seeking to do in this moment and how can I be part of it? Parents, if you're going to do that, You're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to be willing to be a servant. It's not about your desire for peace and quiet. It's not about your desire for a beautiful house, a mannerly dinner, children that 
or occasionally self-parenting because you don't feel like dealing with them. It's about understanding that I've been called to one of the most important tasks that a human being could ever be called to, to represent the Redeemer in the life of my children, to understand that he has chosen to make his invisible grace visible through me into the lives of my children. It's an ambassadorial calling. I want to represent his justice, his mercy, his humility. Now parents, if you fail to do this, there are four things that will happen. I want to give these to you. You should write these down because if you're a parent, you're going to need these. If you fail in your ambassadorial calling, here's invariable what will happen. You will turn moments of God-given ministry opportunity into moments of anger. You'll turn moments of ministry into moments of anger. Here's a moment where God has given you an opportunity to represent him, but because you're not thinking in that ambassadorial way, you're irritated. You're mad that you have to deal with this again. You can't believe that he or she would do that. And you lash out in irritation or anger. You do something you shouldn't do. You say something you shouldn't say. Moment of ministry turned into moment of anger. Here's the second thing. Because you've personalized what is not personal. Listen, parents, your children don't get up in the morning and say, let's conspire together to drive mom crazy. So you do something at 10 o'clock. I'll do something at 2 o'clock. You do it at 5.30. Yeah, it'll drive her nuts. That's not what's happening. It's not personal. Listen, your your child's uh, rebellion is not first against you. It's first against their Lord. This is a child who wants to be in the center of the world. This is a child who wants to be king or queen. This is a child who will make it all about them. That's what sin does to a child. Moment of ministry into a moment of anger because you personalize what is not personal. Here's the third thing. So you're adversarial in your response. It's not you for your child. It's you against your child. You lash out in anger. You stomp down the hallway, walking away. You say a condemning word. You call the child a name. And then the fourth thing. And so you settle for quick situational solutions that don't get to the heart of the matter. So you settle for quick situational solutions that don't get to the heart of the matter. Here is God who has exposed in his love the heart of your child to you. He's done that 
because he's a loving, gracious redeemer. And he's given you an opportunity to take one more step toward the heart of that child, to bring insight, to bring perhaps conviction, to maybe take one more step to that child understanding that his deepest need in life is for a redeemer. And yet, you've just barked to punishment and walked away. And that child in that moment is utterly unchanged. What has happened in that moment? As you've yelled at the child and walked away, is neither Christian nor parenting. There's been no parenting in that moment. Moment of ministry. Into moment of anger because I personalize what is not personal so I'm adversarial in my response and I settle for quick situational solutions that don't get to the heart of the matter. Now I don't know about you but I find Micah 6.8 deeply convicting. It confronts me Paul Tripp with what a sorry ambassador I can be. How quickly impatient I am. How easily irritated I can be. How easy it is for me to forget my calling and to respond in ways that are unhelpful. I don't imagine you're sitting here and say, yeah, I can do that ambassador thing. That's, that's easy. See, for this, we need God's grace. And the beautiful thing is that God will never call us to a task without enabling us to do it. If you are a parent and you're thinking, wow, if this is my calling, I fail all over the place. I have comfort for you. I don't know if you've thought about this or not. But the deepest, darkest moment of suffering on the cross was not physical, it was relational. It was that moment when the father turned his back on the son and Jesus cried out in utter agony, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why am I talking about this? Because Jesus took every ounce of our rejection so that we would never again see the back of God's head. You can come to him in your weakness. You can come to him in your failure. You can come to him with your sin and find in him once again mercy and grace in your time of need. This is the one who for you willingly did what you could not do. Willingly stood in the gap. Willingly humbled himself 
so that you could find mercy and grace in your time of need, so you could find acceptance with the Father, so you could find grace to be, as a parent, what he's called for you to be, to do as a parent what he's called for you to do. You go out, his call is, and you represent me. You represent me on Tuesday morning when your children are fighting. You represent me on Wednesday night when homework has not been done and you don't feel like you want to deal with again. You represent me when there's a fight about when to go to bed. You represent me in that moment when it seems like your teenager has lost his way. You represent me. You represent me. You represent me. You represent me. And I will meet you by my grace. And you watch what I will do as you represent me in the lives of your children. I am able to do what you cannot do. I am able to reach into the hearts of those child and bring radical, lasting transformation. You go and you represent me. You go, you go, you go, you go. Every morning, every afternoon, every evening. Look beyond the the problem of the moment and see beyond that is deep spiritual need. You go and you represent me and you watch what I will do. Be an ambassador of your Redeemer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the stunning wisdom of your word. We thank you for the way it reaches into the recesses of our everyday lives. But most of all, we're thankful for Jesus. Jesus who came to do what we could never do. Lord, there's a way in which we would hear our ambassador calling, we would say, too high, too much. We are not able. And yet we know that you would not call us to a task without enabling us to do it. You would not send us without going with us. We pray as we parent our children that we would do that as your ambassadors. We would represent your holy justice your tender-hearted mercy, your humility. And may that bear a lasting harvest of good fruit in our children, we would pray in the sweet and strong name of Jesus, our Lamb, our King, our Savior. Amen.